Hello, and thank you for joining us on Building Greatness the Warrior Way, a Westcliff University Athletics podcast. As always, I'm joined by our Dean of Athletics, Sean Harris. Yay, yay. And I'm Sherm Dog, David Shermet, the head baseball coach at Westcliff University. A um, couple of quick things. I don't know if you know this, but sheep counting is actually a sport in Australia. I don't know how you train for that or why you decide you want to be a sheep counting athlete, but it is actually a sport in Australia. I don't know that we have it anywhere at the NAI level or if we even have sheep in the area, but I just... I didn't know if you knew that sheep counting was actually a sport in Australia. I, look, I had no clue. And I, <laughs> and here, I, you know what? Maybe we got to look into this, though, because maybe, you know, training is going to be subconscious. You know, at night, count some sheep at night. Absolutely. You know, and we could be we could be at the forefront of this whole new sports. But but uh, but is this like industry. being a, a a herder? Is that what it is? It's like yeah, you can say that a, her- a herder. Yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's, I mean, so is this tied into the rodeo somehow? You got to because I, I mean, what's the <laughs> requirements? Can, you got to have. Do you just walk around and have a long stick? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really on some, you know, really fragile foundation. With yeah, this I piece. know. You, you mentioned that's very interesting. I mean, do you have to just find a pasture or, or a field that's got a lot of goats? And are there a bunch of people there all trying to count them? Or hey, I've already counted these goats. These are mine. You got to go count some other goats. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have all the rules. Right, right. I guess I'm going to need to do a little more research yeah, and find out. I need to find the details. You know, do you need a dog to help you corral these sheep or goats or you yeah, know or yeah, it's, you know it's a lot of questions. You know there. There are a lot of questions. Hey, I got another one for you, and this is a shout-out to Neil Bowie, who is our uh, our uh, eSports head coach. Uh, obviously, eSports are big business now, but um, this is interesting because, you know, there's a great deal of rhetoric and discussion about if eSports are actually sports because, you know, you're, you're playing, basically, you're playing video games. But it's very competitive, obviously. But U.S. immigration officers classified Canadian gamer Danny Lee, whose nickname is Shipter, as an athlete when he became part of, and he was the first e-gamer to be given an athlete's visa into the United States when he became part of the American League of Legends team in 2007. First one ever to do that. And uh, that was 14 years ago. First e-gamer to be given an athlete's visa into the United States. So... Somebody had to be the first. And now, as you know, it's big business. Esports are huge. They've exploded. There are a lot of colleges that have teams, Westcliff being one of them. And they're athletes, sure. Hands down. Okay. They, they're athletes. They train. I think, you know, we had one of our previous uh, esports um, student athletes on, you know, probably now about six six to nine months ago. And his right. his preparation was no different than any other student athlete far as mental and, and physical and, and getting himself ready uh, for competition. So uh, they're, yeah, they're he athletes. Did, he, he did say he plays and trains about five or six hours a day. Right. So, yeah, pretty much the same as uh, athletes in sports with which we're a little more familiar, I guess you might say, baseball, basketball, etc. So they go through the same thing. He's got to be very alert. He's got to train. He's got to eat properly. So in that vein, absolutely. I mean, hand-eye coordination got to be where it needs to be. 
Sure. Yeah, of course. Of course. So they certainly are athletes. All right. Hey, let's talk about some events in the world of sports. There's a lot going on, including the defending champs who are no longer around in the NBA playoffs. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's just you say know, wow. Okay. Dave. Well, uh, you know, there are plenty of teams that have superstars, one, two, sometimes three superstars, but they don't obviously do it by themselves. You need the surrounding cast to pick it up. And there were bo- points in both games. We're talking about the Lakers and the Suns. The, uh, in uh, the last two games in particular, games five and six, uh, where the Lakers were down by 30, 35 points early in the game, in fact. And, and you just can't recover from that. Yeah, LeBron's going to get 28 or 30 points. The rest of the team was soft. I mean, yeah, I mean you know, Anthony no Davis answer. did, right. did, did you know, come up, you know, injured this, uh, um, you know, round. Of the you know, yeah. But here's the deal. I mean, they fought injury all year long. But we knew that this year's Laker team was going to be trash. I mean, they was all in on last year, right? And rightfully so. And they got a championship. So they knew, the front office knew they had to gut the team pretty much this year, right? They knew that. So everybody who pretty much were somebody in that championship run, besides LeBron and AD, are all helping other teams on their championship run this year. So, I mean, it was strategic. I mean, and if you're going to go all out and you end up winning the championship, then, you know, fall on your sword this year and, and recover. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, LeBron is getting older. We know that. I mean, mm. AD needs to get healthy. And we know the other uh, dudes on the roster, besides uh, probably Dennis Schroeder, probably need to well, probably need to uh, move on and, and get traded or, you know, got to revamp it a little bit. So, well, let me ask you a question because, you know, basically the Lakers traded out point guards because they had Rondo and now they got Schroeder. Who would you rather have in that role it, it, in the playoffs? Well, here, I mean, see, but this you got to get to the playoffs, right? And then you're talking about young talent. So I understand why they did the transition from, you know, Rondo to Schroeder. I understand that because they know even if they had Rondo, uh, he they wasn't going to get a championship this year. So they might as well get the young guy some burn get him used to the system, and gear up here for for this following year. So I think that was, you know, strictly strategic. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of question marks. You know, you got – Question marks for fans. Like- for fans. Fans always have question marks. But but the people who are making the decisions know exactly what track they're on, man. They know okay, what's going but- on. Well, you know, they've got a supporting cast. As you say, some of them need to move on. They, does Andre Drummond hang around? Does, well, Andre does, Drummond uh, at the end of his career, we know that. I mean, okay, he, he plays some about, good minutes, but we got to restructure that contract. You know that. All right. What about KCP or TBT? K, KCP or, or, probably be a great trade asset. Okay. Mm-hmm, he probably mm-hmm, going to be a great okay. trade asset. I mean, he didn't have a hell of a season like he did last season. He didn't particularly shoot the ball you know, well all season long, but he hung in there. Um, then you got the young guy who's coming up. Um, he's still raw. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you got Trez is more like a role player. You know, so what the, about go ahead? What about a guy like Marcus All? Marcus Saul to the end of his career too. We know Memphis took a lot of that from him, and then you know I think he was in Canada for the for the remainder. So it's, you know, we gotta get some pieces. Gotta get some pieces. Do you, do you think LeBron's son is going to wind up playing with him on the Lakers? Um, 
if LeBron can hold on, maybe he can be in a position of leverage to make that happen. But it might not be the Lakers. But I think it's going to be somebody's team. Okay, so you think he's good enough to play in the NBA? His son. Yeah, I think he's on track to be good enough to play in the NBA. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, if LeBron knows it can happen, do you think he'll he'll hang around long enough to see it happen? I think LeBron think is going to hang around long enough because he loves the game. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't appreciate his talent as much as we should. I mean, mm-hmm. he does a lot. You know, number one, I've never seen an athlete, you know, off the court so involved in his prime and, and is so successful in businesses and everything else, not even – adding in his social justice advocacy. We even adding that. And then on top of it, he's still one of the most dominant players, you know, in the league. So, I mean, and he had his fair share of injuries too. We know how much he pulled, puts into his body. So this early exit allows him to get his body, you know, right. I mean, you know, he was talking about, you know, even um, off this past bubble season, that it was a little too early for his timeline and where he is in his life. So I got to believe him. So he'll go ahead and get things ready and get it where it need to be, and, and he'll be back ready to lead another uh, championship run next year. All right, so you think if they get the right pieces in place that they're, they're going to contend next oh, year? Oh, yeah, yeah. Provided everyone's healthy. Um, because, you know, one one superstar does not a championship team make. Uh, the Bucks are a really good example of that. Yes, they've got great role players, but their one superstar, do you think – he can carry them past the Nets, who have three superstars. He never or, won before, or the 76ers. Right? He, ne- right. he never and won I- before, so not so he's a one superstar who never won before. But here's the deal: his counterpart's been playing like a big three. To answer your question, yeah. I don't believe they beat the Nets, so I don't believe that happens. But I mean, Holiday um, is no slouch. Okay, he's well respected in the league. Everybody knows yeah. what he brings to the table. Right. Yeah. Middleton. And then Middleton, the shooter, can shoot the mm-hmm. lights out. But we're talking about a, a young Bucks team that's never won anything. Came close and never won anything. So they they never been um, you know, over the hump just to get out of the Eastern Conference. So um so you know, I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think um the Bucks, you know, analogy kind of translates. Now you know, yeah, I, I, I'm not on the Bucks train. I don't think they can do it with one superstar in this and the surrounding cast. I mean, that they have. you know, 76 ers in trouble right now. I mean, with Embiid, you know, with that meniscus tear, right? They in trouble, right? And they was looking like a favorite, and mm-hmm. they in trouble. So, I definitely see the Nets coming out, no doubt. I see the yeah. Nets coming out with no problem. Yeah, um, if they're healthy. I think they're still the best in the. I East. mean, yeah, I mean, and then. You know who who's coming out in the West? I, That's a good question. I, I don't know. I'm a little confused. I don't believe in the Clippers, though. No, I don't either. Now, now, I don't now either. the Clippers are assembled to be able to come out the West, right? They should, right? Because they they are assembled to get it done, but I, I don't think they can. Yeah, for some reason, I think they're too old. That's the feeling I get. They have all veterans. They got great players. But then they go up against a team like Utah, or they're going to wind up going up against a team like the Suns, who are who are, you know, the it's hard to stop Devin Booker. Well, the guy's eighteen for twenty from the free throw line every night. Hey, he just he's a superstar. Listen, he he is that, and he he is that dude for sure. 
But I'm going to have to defer to you because I believe one dinosaur knows what another dinosaur looked like. So if you're saying <laughs> okay. they're, they're too old, who am I to question the dinosaur? Okay. Okay. Are, are you talking about you and me? Uh, no, you're not talking. I'm, I'm just talking about, talking I'm just talking about you. <laughs> recognizing okay. another dinosaur. I, I, okay. I, I, I didn't think the Clippers were too old, but if my dinosaur that I trust and have faith in says that that dinosaur over there is a dinosaur, then it's a dinosaur. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. That's all you're saying. All right. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't know. It just... You know, the Clippers have their two superstars. They got Paul George and they got Kawhi Leonard. That's where Rondo wound up as well. And they got a they got a pretty good cast. But, you know, you put them up man for man against some of these younger teams. You know, there 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 are players who we assumed were gonna be really good and they're starting to emerge. A guy like DeAndre Ayton, who can get twenty rebounds a game and score eighteen. Well, points, I bet you would bring him up, up since he's one of your alum. University of Arizona, you, right? But he probably you guys are he may invested. have You're, you are invested. You paid him early. Yes. He may, may have been paid to go may there. Have. I can't I can't accuse on this podcast without. without I, I'm uh, sure that you got the receipt for the cryptocurrency that he got. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> I if think, he got some bitcoins over there. I don't, uh, I don't you, know you what think, it was, but I. You think I facilitated that? Do you? Even I, though Sean Miller's voice is on audio recording, talking about. Hey, it. somebody had to be a part of that podcast uh, production, and yeah, I couldn't think of a better person than you. <laughs> okay, I'm just thanks. saying. That's really nice. Of, but you know what? Bring up the hey, Wildcat, though. That that would be you, so, so you to bring up the Wildcat. Everybody else on that know, team and just him, huh? U of A is on the right track. But, but and you know, but I was just talking about the Suns in particular because they've got the one superstar that is Chris Paul. But they also have the second one that is Devin Booker and the third one emerging. And Devin Booker's Ken, uh, uh, Kentucky, Chris Paul's Wake Forest. Uh, and, and then Aiton is the force. He's becoming the force because it's his third year in the league that they hoped he would be. Right. So he's kind of the X factor there, uh, you know, because he's tall. Obviously, he's long. He can stretch the floor. And then you got Chris Paul, who doesn't make any mistakes. Well, you, and, you know, and, I just got a, a net notification. I don't know if you heard that. Or not, but that was Sean Miller saying absolutely Sherm was with him. That's what it. Oh, okay, just want to really? let you know so he's he's implicating me. He's oh my he's God, confirmed is, it, but he did say that you uh, did get a chance to uh, plead out. So um, yeah, I'm, so they're not pursuing yeah. you anymore. Exactly, I, I pled, so I I'm not part of the lawsuit. You know, I'm, I'm out no, of no, 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 no. You got the alumni yeah. award, no problem. I haven't been I haven't been named in that. Yeah, he he yet, said so. you was untouchable because of the World Series, so they had to pick somebody else. <laughs> oh, they really? Oh, they're just dragging people down at random. Hey, oh, his words, Sherm, not mine. His oh, words. Okay. So I just all want right. to clear that for the record. Okay. Right. None we'll none of our, these our claims none of these claims can be substantiated. So I just want to make sure <laughs> that I put that disclaimer out. Okay. All right then. Okay. So who's your pick to win it all? Man, I'm just gonna have to go with the Nets right now. Yeah, I was um, gonna go there too. I didn't want to. I hate. It I hate like it to it. see it, but I don't see anybody slowing that train down. They got a lot yeah, of energy. When, the bench is crazy. Um, yeah. they, and when their three superstars are healthy, they gel. They haven't you know, played. They haven't played 20 games together. So if, yeah. So I mean, yeah. if they feel like they can win out, I'm I'm here to say that I think the Nets. Uh, bring it back to New York, and mm. we're gonna look at Steve Nash as being uh, in the um, current uh, new coaches, the, the the coach whose first year wins a wins a, a championship. Yeah, but is it a case of being able to roll the ball out there and just letting them do what they want to do, do their thing? 
They're they're so talented. Are you saying like, he's not coaching? Is that what you're I, saying? I, I don't know. First year coach. I don't know if he's a good coach. Is he a good coach? Just because they're well, they're doing well in the playoffs. Let now. me tell you, they didn't win. Did they? Oh, okay, so they win the East, right? Right. Okay, and they've got three of the top players right now. They do. And okay, uh, I don't know what he's like as a coach. I don't know what sets here, he runs or what kind of adjustments here, he makes at halftime here, here, or any of that. Here's the deal: all those things you're saying is is true. I'm not trying to um, say that any of those things are not valid, right? But what I am saying is. A trait of a good coach and a leader is to know how to get the hell out the way. And he he has that trait, if nothing else. Mm, Because sometimes, as you're coaching, you can be in the way, right, of greatness. You can (laughs) because you can fall in love with your system and what you want to see, right? And guys get unhappy because they feel like they can't express themselves and their craft, right? And you mess up the chemistry because you can have crazy policies and rules and procedures, right, that make it uncomfortable for your superstars to mix in jail, you know, with, you know, as Shaq would say, the others. That's Shaq's word, not mine. That's, right, you know, he, right. he, he he says he got that from Phil Jackson that's, that's holding a lot of rings. So maybe that's something to that. I don't know. But mm-hmm. it's true. Like, you know, as a coach, you can get into it. You know, you can do you can do that. You can get in the way. You know, so I, I, I'm seeing that if nothing else, Sherm, from a technical standpoint, maybe you're absolutely right. He has not been tested. We don't know what he is with X's and O's, but with people, Sherm, and we know this is a 90% communication, 95% communication as a coach, right? It seems like he has the people uh, part down in coaching with everybody knowing the role and, and, and being accepting of that, not just tolerant, as you always talk about, right? The bench is accepting. Joe Harris, who's out there with those guys as a starting five, knows he may only get three shots a night, and he's okay with that, right? So it just seems like the spirit of winning has just taken over and has been infectious with those guys. So if nothing else, we can say that Steve Nash understands how to allow – his leaders of the team to control the climate of the locker room. And he doesn't have any insecurities in making that happen. That's what I'm seeing so far. Okay. That's a fair assessment. Do you think his hiring or to you was his hiring a surprise? It kind of caught me off guard. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, but here's, here's the deal. We got, you know, we have staffers on on our staff who believe like you got to have every position to be qualified. Right. That's the beauty about sports. Some dudes decide that, hey, they might spend 30 years as, as an assistant, 20 years as an assistant, and then decide, hey, to pivot. I don't want to be a head coach. Let me go into, you know, um, the front office, right? And, you know, for Nash, he was a great player, right? Two-time NBA um, MVP, MVP, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he decided to do some consulting work with Golden State with their championship run. And then he gets the opportunity, right? So he didn't coach at any level before he got this opportunity. And now, mm-hmm. you know, that that it might be some privilege in that, right? Because many, Gee, many guys you, couldn't, do you, couldn't do that. Do you, th- do you think? I mean, we just talked about this very thing with uh, Lamar Barrett. Right. Who we did earlier with his unmasked program. Oh, which is, which is phenomenal. The unmasked. Yeah. You gotta, it's a must-see. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, helping assistant coaches take that step into the head coaching or those that were head coaches that have bumped down to assistants elsewhere getting back into the head job. I mean, Steve Nash just bypassed the whole system. But but here's the deal. See, this is where I want to disagree. Steve Nash jumped on is a part of the system. That that is the system. We we try to mess sports, right, with corporate America. The the, the corporate America structure for for you know would, would say, yeah, he bypassed this process. In sports, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It it works a, how do works you, a lot different than that. How do you hire a head coach in a position like that with zero coaching experience? Because he was a two, because he was a two-time MVP and he was a point guard uh, on the floor, which was pretty much the extension of the coaching staff. That's the justification. Hmm. And and, okay. and he was a winner. I know, but you could say that about a lot of guys. I, I'm not are, saying that you can't, but I'm just you know I'm I'm just answering your question. I, I you know I'm okay. not saying if I agree or disagree, right? With mm-hmm. that, but this is the bedrock of the culture of sports. It happens all the time. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, well, okay. How many other instances of head coaches that have zero coaching experience? What, what, I mean, what I'm saying is like most of the time we, we don't even know what they did or did not do, right? Because there's so many overlapping jobs. I mean, most of the time you see it in executive roles, right? You don't see it so much on the sidelines, you know? But, you know, that's just kind of the way that it's been working, you know, not not only in the NBA, you know, it's been working that way, you know, in, in the NFL, in, yeah. in the major league front offices and everywhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you It's a business and you pick people that you're comfortable with, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. That's what and, it comes and, down know, to. I, I talked to Lamar about this because you could know everything there is to know, but it's who you know. As it is not just Absolutely. in sports, but everywhere around, yeah, everywhere in life. It's it's who you know and, and how they can help you get to where you want to go. Absolutely. And so, and so, you know, Lamar is a very well-connected man. But, you know, I, I hearken back to coaches who I think deserve a shot, a guy like Jason Hart. And we talked about him with Lamar. And, and why is that guy not getting a head coach opportunity? You already know that. You want to ask? I do. That's a rhetorical yeah, question. I, it so is. So why don't you tell is, the people but, why? And, and well, hang on a second. I want to lead this into who the person is that is going to be taking over for Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. Right. There's a, right. okay, here's a guy. Yeah, here's a guy. And hey, taking nothing away from John Shire. He was a captain on one of the Duke national championship teams. He's been an assistant coach for 10 years. But why is a guy like Tommy Amaker not getting that job? Tommy Amaker is a head coach at Harvard. Or Jeff Capel. he's a legacy. Or Jeff Capel. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You know what? There are going to be others. And, you know, there's Amaker has been a coach longer. He's got just as many accolades, et cetera, et cetera. Why are these guys getting past And, and I know Duke's a dream job, but if I'm Tommy Amaker, I, I don't think I leave the connections of Harvard. Um, well, it depends on, you know, that that is a good point you make because I don't know Tommy Amaker's personal side. I don't know what he's trying to accomplish, what his personal goals are. That's a 40-year plan for everybody. Everybody involved. Right. And what his family is saying as an example, hey, we're comfortable here. We don't want to move to North Carolina. You know, who knows? Who knows? But your point is, you know, your point is that he is qualified 
He is a part of the brotherhood of Duke. And you would think that his name would have been swirling around before Shire, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. I mean, they. I think his name came up, but Shire is coach in waiting, and he has been. And I think this whole thing was set in motion a while right. ago. It's only been announced now. I mean, but you no, know, it happens all the time. Conversely, you look at North Carolina and who they hired to replace Roy Williams. Yeah, he was another North Carolina guy, right? Yes. But yes. I, but I mean, and, you could have said that. You know, you had Kenny the Jet Smith, who's been waiting for an opportunity to coach true. in the NBA. Could have maybe had a shot to. Uh, you know, be a part of, uh, you know, the North Carolina, you know, coaching tree. Who who knows? But I just think, you know, with Shire, I mean, it's not going to hurt anything to give him a chance. And we all know if he's probably going to be on a short lease. So his job, um, you know, it's probably going to be pretty tough. I don't know if he gets a long-term deal. Hmm. Well, it's hard to replace a legend. You know, you just – You never you replace a legend. You never, no, you, you never, you never replace a legend, sure. No, absolutely not. You, you, but it'll be interesting to see Hubert Davis at UNC. Well, it's going to be interesting to see Shire at Duke as well, at because Duke. here's yeah, the deal: yeah. because we love to compare, we love comparisons, right? Oh yeah, we do. And, yes, we do. You know, it's just some acts you can't follow up, sure. Mm. You know, you're like, hell, hold on, hold on, I got to come behind that. <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about, right? Because it doesn't matter. The media and there's so much 20s, 25 years, right? They always gonna say, well, oh, you know, it's same thing with Roy Williams, but Roy had to go out and get his own clout, right? Before he came back to North Carolina when we're talking about Hubert situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Roy Williams went and got his own clout. He was a a, a a protege of Dean Smith, went out, got his own clout, came back, you know, so that helped his situation. But with Hubert Davis, they're gonna be like, hey, you know what? Roy wouldn't have did that. You know, you know they're going to kill him in these press conferences, bro. <laughs> you know he's going to, at the end of the game of a, a controversial loss, you, you know, they're going to hit the comparisons, man, and try to push his buttons, you know. And and, and only he will know. And, and, but, but Roy has did a great job with endorsing uh, Hubert Davis as his son. You saw the, the clip, right? Right. Yeah, right. I mean, so yeah. that endorsement almost said hands off of him. You know what I'm saying? So hopefully Shiseski does the same thing for Shire. Hmm. Oh, well, I'm, yeah, he's already there. He's, you know, the, but what the I'm press saying conference is, is taking But place. what I'm saying is, like, that first questionable loss. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Where the fan well, base I'm, is going crazy and Candom ain't crazy no more. You know what I'm saying? And they come in there and somebody mollywop them at home by 20, you know, hmm. in the ACC and, you know, some team that shouldn't be mollywhopping him go in there and, and dig up in him. He has some questionable clock management or game time decisions, whatever the case may be. And and, and now the fan base got one eyebrow up because, you know, they temporary. Okay. Mm-hmm. They only love you. They only love you short time. We know that. Yeah. yeah you know, yep. so if you ever been on a college bench, you know how fast it can turn. And sometimes you only two adjustments from winning and losing. You know that. Hmm. That's the reality. Is that not true? Some, no, that's true. Sometimes yeah, you, of course there's one or two adjustments. Or yeah. you can go practice all week long and get out there on game day and your team doesn't absorb anything you did all year, all week, right? And they're a totally different team and you're just coaching on the fly, wondering 
who's the guys you got out there right now? Because you can't recognize them, right? And then sometimes, you know, maybe in baseball, in and two, they click. And maybe you only played one or two great innings to get the W instead of a complete game, you know? So it, it, that's the beauty of coaching, I believe. Mm, okay. Well, you know, some coaches are going to be scrutinized a little bit more than others. Anybody at a big major blue blood is obviously going to be scrutinized. If you come behind a legend, of, you're going to be scrutinized no matter what. Yeah, that's true. But there are plenty of teams, blue bloods, that struggled this past year. Uh, Kentucky being one, North Carolina had a difficult year. Even Duke got off to a bad start. You know, they all three of the blue bloods really struggled this, pla- they, this past year. They didn't year. make, um, Duke did not make, make the tournament. They did not, right. That's unheard right. of. Neither did Kentucky. Unheard of. Right, right. And so maybe it changes in order. Maybe it's hey, time, you know. This is one thing I, you know, if God keeps me around long enough, and hopefully he does, and, you know, I'm I'm there from when, you know, Duke played the Zags, you know, I'm going to feel really special about that game because I know that's going to be one of Coach K's last games. And, mm. and I can say, hey, man, you know, my son got a chance to go against a legend. Yeah. Are you going to be there for that? I'm going to be everywhere I can possibly be <laughs> if God is willing. Are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's everywhere you want to be. That You're going to be like Visa or MasterCard. You're hey, going to be everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't see it any other way. Yeah, I know. I know. Who's there for, Who's Gonzaga's first game next year? Do you know? I don't even know what the schedule looks like. Or next season? Uh, mm. Okay. Well, they normally open up in October, don't they? Yeah, they, they, they do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have the – well, their first game is always – the game they play against themselves, right? Officially, you know, mm-hmm. craziness in the kettle. But I, I don't know who's on the who's on the schedule first. Gosh, I hope they play Arizona. They usually play them every no, year. No, I think this year they not. They were supposed to, but I think that um, they decided not to play each other. Okay. I was hoping right. that they would, but they decided not to. I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. Would the connections there between those two teams now? Is uh, pretty interesting with the head coach at Arizona. So should be fun. Be a, I mean, you got the Arizona yeah. squad looks fun. It's a great squad. It's a lot of good people. Um, it's some dudes that kind of defected from the Zags that went over there. So I think you know your 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 Wildcats are going to look good this year. Yeah, you know what? He's already done. Tommy Lloyd's done a great job of recruiting. He's already brought in one of the top international players as well. So it, it's. Uh, I'm know, not surprised, man. I'm not surprised. No. Uh, that's that's his. He's known you know, for his recruiting prowess. Yeah, yeah t- absolutely. Tommy's a Tommy's a straight dude. I mean, I think he's going to be successful wherever he goes. Yeah, absolutely. And it was about time for him as well. You know, he he'd been in waiting for quite a long time, and he should have probably been a head coach before this. But uh, well, he's got you know his what? Here, here's the deal: you, you got to be courageous enough to take some of these opportunities. And some mm-hmm. dudes sit and wait, and I'm not saying this is Tommy's situation, but I'm just saying some dudes wait and sit for the right opportunity they feel is the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then some guys don't get any opportunities at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if I mean, I could have sat back because I knew after my first or second year at the four year level because I was in JUCO too as a coach, right? I knew at that point that I was going to be administrator because it, it was other things I wanted to change within athletics that had nothing to do with the sideline, I already knew that I was going to transition into, you know, uh, the administrative side of of athletics. So I I didn't have a desire anymore to be a head coach. I easily could have been, I easily could have took some head coaching jobs. 
I had some opportunities, but I knew that's not where I wanted to, uh, you know, lay my foundation and my legacy in this game. So I waited it out for an opportunity, you know, for athletic director role that made sense for me. And well, this, you know, this role was 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 not anything that made sense for anybody else. But it made sense for me because I love to build things from nothing. It was ground zero here, right? No, so. it was less than zero. <laughs> uh, it was it was minus two. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That those are facts, you know. Yeah, but you know that that is the opportunity that gives you the chance to put your fingerprints on the entire operation. You're not taking over for somebody, and there's a direction that the university is headed and the athletic department's headed. We had no direction, so you were the one who had the opportunity to put your stamp on it. Yeah, no no doubt. And I appreciate uh, Dr. Well, Dr. Lee for believing in my, my abilities, for sure. And you had other opportunities. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, you know, to bring it full circle, then, um, you know, we've talked about it before. We had to clean house first, which is... A lot of house cleaning. A lot of house cleaning. Of, you, know, you know those that. Mr. Clean erasers? Oh yeah, yeah. We, yeah. you know, I think my, I think my, my, my triceps got got huge over that week. You know, just <laughs> back and forth. You know, I felt like uh, uh, Daniel, Danielson, wax on, wax off. Wax. Oh really? Yeah, it was a lot of moving parts, right? We had to scrub, yeah, man. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. You was in we the did. scrub process. You was there. You yeah. seen it? Yeah, I did. I did. A lot of dust mites. Scr- a lot of dust mites and molds going on. You know, we're still scrubbing a little bit. Listen, we are, right? And here's the deal, though. Now we got so prominent, everybody has an opinion. Nobody mm-hmm. had an opinion when they couldn't see the forest for the trees, right? Nobody yep. had an opinion then. But we got plenty of opinions now. Because now this job looks attractive, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but it's a story behind that, right? So no matter if they try to mark Jackson me or not, you know, at the end of the day... I know I can go to any organization, right, and take it from nothing to something. Hmm. Period. That's an in- that's an interesting analogy, Mark Jackson. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Or Tony and, and, Dungy when he was with, you know, um, yeah, when he was down in Tampa Bay, right? You know, right. But at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. See, but the interesting thing is, you know, Tony Dungy built a championship in Indianapolis, but. You know, you use the Mark Jackson analogy, and Steve Kerr gets a lot of credit. Now, I'm a Steve Kerr advocate. A lot of guys are, and I got to say, obviously. I like Steve Kerr, and I love it. But we know Steve Kerr didn't have to do the heavy lifting. That's the thing. That's the thing. He's a U of A guy. He's an Arizona guy. But, you know, that, you know, Mark Jackson had spoken about that where he said, you know, this is a team that I helped put together. Steve Kerr comes in and wins a championship. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, that that happens to a lot of African-Americans in in sports. So this is nothing new. I'm not going to sit here and act like that has never happened before. No, of course. I've given you some analogies, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, but but I like to look at myself as maybe an Ozzie Newsom kind of dude. You know, Ozzie Newsom had a hell of a Hall of Fame career, and then he yeah, went to just, the front office and and handled business with the Ravens. Right, got him yeah, a championship. Oh yeah, and the, and the owner just uh, awarded uh, a four million dollar um, scholarship uh, to a foundation on his behalf. You know, and, there you and go. So yeah, they did a really nice thing for Ozzie Newsom. 
Yeah, Ozzy deserved that. Yeah, absolutely. And and Masai uh, uh, Jahiri. Yeah. You know, another guy. And another guy who gets very disrespected where he goes. Obviously, after he won the championship, there's a whole you know, crazy. incident that took crazy. place on, on court. Yeah, on the court right there. Cr- um, crazy. And he's one of the few GMs of color, but he's from African descent, not African-American he, descent. Right, African descent. Right, and yeah. then he's from... Um, for those who care about that, you know, who's making that distinction. And, no, there um, is a distinction to be made. That's you know, right. And um, his team was in Canada, so outside of the United States, right? Mm-hmm. And he's one of the few that have total control, right? Total control of, of basketball operations start to finish. Now, we got supposedly, allegedly, we got some pawns who, who look like me, who are African-Americans that are in these GM roles, but they don't have that control. So shots out to him, man, for for, yeah. for that and and the ownership of the Raptors being That's willing to give in him that yeah. kind of opportunity, right? They, and I well, still you know, think Kawhi should have stayed in Toronto. Still yeah, to I do as well. I do as well. But you know, as you mentioned, the ownership obviously kudos to them. Um, but uh, he. Jahiri had been successful in a few roles prior Absolutely. to getting to he, he, Toronto, he which paid is why he dues. got the gig. He paid his yeah, dues. Yeah, he did. And it's just a, his story is an interesting one. Coming from Africa and rising to the position where he has, when so many others have struggled to get there. So many have struggled. And still, and still are struggling. But is it, so, is it irony that the team outside of the United States was the team that showed the most diversity? than the teams that are in the United States? Or that's just a coincidence? No, you know, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I've been to Canada a lot, and there's a tremendous amount of Oh, I love the six. There. I love the six. Yeah. You know, me and Jizzy Drake. Yeah, I know you know. <laughs> I know you know. <laughs> you, you guys are, are – you, you got them on speed dial. Hey, man, I got them on touch. Just okay. one button touch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, That's just how it I is. Know. All right. That's funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay, it was Toronto's time. And I don't know why you can't – you know, when you win a championship, why can't you keep your team together? Because the money gets in the way. But they were – They should have – Listen. They should have re-signed Kawhi. What was so no, bad Kawhi, about being no, up Kawhi there? No, Kawhi wanted to go home, but here's the deal. Like, I yeah. I, mm, I get it, but I, I don't see no difference, Kawhi. I, I think that if he stayed, they probably won another championship back-to-back. Mm, well, they would have had to keep a few pieces together. No, no, they, no, no doubt. Toronto didn't. Toronto did not make the playoffs yeah, this year. Yeah, no doubt. And but but I think I'm, what I'm saying, Sherman, is let me finish my thought because I'm sorry I left it incomplete. No, no, no. Go, go. What I'm thinking is that if he would have stayed, maybe he could have attracted a piece to come to Toronto if he was able to attract, you know, Paul George to get out of his contract to go to L.A. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he would have had a little more influence, you know, with mm-hmm. that because. If you're looking at brand recognition, why wouldn't I want a country behind my label, my brand, versus a city? Mm-hmm. The whole country well, adored him. I mean, the, uh, DeMar DeRozan left, and the country loves him. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, if it was about promoting your brand and recognition, but maybe it was something else. And and, and by no means that I'm saying that it has to be monetary, mm-hmm. right? Fulfillment comes in a lot of different buckets. So, if, you know, if Kwai's fulfilled, then, you know, let it be what it is. 
Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon taking place more in the NBA than the other sports where the players are advocating for each other. Uh, you know, like LeBron will go to AD and say, hey, man, get out of your contract. Let's play together. Or, you know, he's best friends with Dwayne Wade and Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony. And they, and they had a plan to play together. And so, you know, Kevin Durant gets out of his contract, says, I want to go to, to the Nets. James Harden said, I want to go to the Nets. Because the players are saying, hey, come here and play with me. And, and Kyrie and, and the three of us will win a championship. And, you know, is that is that tampering? Because management's not allowed to do that. Because if they say something at the wrong time of year, they're going to get fifty fine fifty thousand dollars and lose a draft pick. But the players can do it all they want. I told you from day one, even at this collegiate game, and you seen my son do it because I believe in it, and he took that and ran with it. Your best recruiters are always the players. Yeah, that's true. You remember me telling you that from day one. We will be successful in the recruiting ranks. Because if you lean heavily on your players, right, they will sign the checks for you. Yeah, Because they're going to tell the whole story. Okay, but see, at the professional level, the money frees them up to do that. It and does. by that I mean, yeah, here's a great example what the Packers are going through with Aaron Rodgers right now. Aaron Rodgers has made so much money, he doesn't have to work ever again. It's that generational wealth that we've discussed. Absolutely. He's already said... He's already said, I do not want to come back to Green Bay, and they don't want to trade him. You know what he said, Sherm? He said, discount, double check. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. No, that that man does not need a discount. There's (laughs) one man who does not need a discount. It is that man. But the point is, is that the players now are getting more control than they've ever had. Do you you have a problem with that, Sherm? No, no, but it's it's starting to manifest itself in sports more than ever. Well... I mean, yeah, it is true, but you but sound players, like you have a problem with that, Sherm. No, I don't have a problem. I'm bringing it to light. What are you, it's already more, to light. It's called free agency, Sherm. Yeah, I understand that. The players have more power than it's the, called, the teams, than the coaches, than the administrators. It's called technology, owners. Sherm. Now I know well, how much the next dude getting paid because the media is talking about it. And that's and, another question. Why Why do we have to know what, what the athletes are getting paid? Nobody talks about their salaries at other companies. You know, Because you you're IBM, trying to mix, you're mixing corporate America with sports. Totally different culture. I know, but if you sign a huge contract and it's reported right away on ESPN, shouldn't there be some privacy as to what you make? It can if you tell your employer that you don't want it to be public. But somebody's going to find out anyway. Oh, somebody will definitely find you know, out. Because but... all the agents know what the next guy got because that's the part of the business. That's the same thing in sales. When you go into top sales offices, we see everybody's numbers. Well, yeah. It's on the board. Know, to, it's on the board. Yeah, they, we see everybody's they try numbers. To create, they Re- try recruiting to create the same comp- way. They try to create a little competition. Listen, sure. recruiting. Okay, we don't track recruiting classes, sir. Of course college, we do. Why? But, but that's, what, that's the same thing. We, we want to know who's number one. We want to know who has the number one recruiting class. And you don't think the person who has the number one recruiting class, that doesn't light a fire underneath the damn fan base and the alumni to be able to want more tickets, and then they become scarce, and the demand becomes crazy, and now I'm making buku bucks because we went and did our job. You telling me that don't happen, Sherm? Yeah, I know, but as an example. That's the business. Um, you know what? I Let me tell you. Let me just backtrack a little bit. I've had people on our staff 
say that, hey, why is this a sales environment? This feels like we're in sales. Of course we're in sales. Okay. But this but that's what the, the the you know, that's what the feedback was. Hey, it seemed like we're in sales right now. Right? What's the difference between recruiting and sales? Somebody help me out with that. Help me out, Sherm. Yeah. What's the difference? There's not much there's not a lot of difference. It's that recruiting is sales. Oh, entirely. You know, you're you're selling the university and the program and everything it can do for your son or your daughter or, right. or the player. It's, it's entirely sales. But, you know, I, I know a player like uh, I'll use baseball. Mike Trout has a 10 year, four hundred thirty million dollar contract. Booyah. I know how. Yeah, I know how good he is. I've watched him play. I'll pay money to go watch him play regardless of if I know his salary or not. So that's the media. You know, he's gone. He's going to put butts in the seats. He's going to sell jerseys with his name on it, whether I know how much he makes or not. It's like that in the NBA, too. I, I you know, I know that these guys have nine-figure contracts. Pat Mahomes. And if I, yeah, $503 million. And if I didn't know that, I would still go to the games. I mean. Because you love the game. Why is, yeah, that. I love you, but I don't know what you make. Yeah, you do. Nothing. No, I do. <laughs> okay. I'm on scraps okay. like everybody else. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. I, I wish I had a dollar to make 15 cents. And still pay the rent. All right. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. That's a, that is from a Will Clark. I think it's Men in Black or something, isn't it? Pitbull and, and or Will Smith, not Will Clark. Will Smith. I think, that, I think you just quoted a, a line from a song. Try to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Tupac. I'm pretty sure... Is it Tupac? I think it might be more than one entertainer. I'm sure they that, bit off of that line. I'm sure they have. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, they probably did. They and, probably and I'm did. biting off of whoever got the rights to that. So don't sue me. It ain't mine. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. But it's an interesting point about the business of sports and how they market their, their players. And you know, the players, the players know how to take advantage and get the most out of it. But then I also think the teams know how to take advantage of the players and get the most out of it. Oh yeah, it's so, it's a it's a love and hate win win depending on how we feel about you. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of that, absolutely. When we're loving uh, you, we don't have no problem with that. Mm, I mean, that's mm. the same way with Julio Jones, right? When when Julio Jones wasn't taking all these uh, uh, top contracts, being a prima donna, right, trying to keep the team winning, when Matt Ryan was clearing the the bank account, right, every time his his number came up, right, clearing it out. And you never saw Julio Jones ever act out, right? No, he ne- he's been one of the right. silent stars. Yeah, absolutely. He makes, and he, he makes yeah. modest money compared to the Odell yeah. Beckhams of the world and, and all yeah, those other think, dudes. He, he could have made way more money than he did, right? Yeah, I think he's on his cap hits like $11 million Yeah, but he can like easily that, but, broke the oh, bank, yeah. right, when he was oh, high. Yeah, yeah. He decided he not to. He could have had nine figures. And then, oh, yeah. and then my point is, then when he needed some, some, some love, his quarterback wasn't even there for him. Yeah, Understanding that the only way that he got those numbers that Matty Ice got paid with was off of Julio Jones' back. Come on now. Hmm. He's probably probably 80 to 85%, and I, that might be modest because I don't have the figures. We can look it up. But probably that production of Matt Ryan's came from Julio Jones. Yeah, a lot of it. Matt Ryan won an MVP that year, and they should have won the Super Bowl. But Until Tom Brady uh, snatched his heart out. And he, and he crumbled, yeah. and Maddie, yes. Maddie Ice turned into water, but it wasn't cold. 
Okay. No, that's Kuhan Luke. Bet, oh yeah, yeah. Kuhan yeah. Luke came and snatched his heart out in the Super but, you Bowl. Know, and Julio, it'll be interesting to see the saga of Julio Jones and where he winds up and what the Falcons get for him because they want a first-round pick and there are very few teams willing to part with that. I He's still one of the best receivers in all of National Football League. I don't know why teams aren't willing to say, hey, I'll give you, you know, make some trades for it and get it going. And he might wind up in the very same place as Aaron Rodgers. And wouldn't that be interesting to watch the two of them perform together? Right. So, so. so my point is, just to wrap this up, my point is – sure. Never undervalue yourself because then when you you'll never get the value you need when it's time for you to, to get it. Hmm. Okay. Well, there's going to be a, a, a podcast where we discuss the um, influence of the agents on some of these players because there's plenty of sports agents out there who obviously have given good advice but there are plenty that have given the wrong advice as well absolutely and some uh, of them are top agents who still making yes. money i mean I, yes. I, I i mean it is what it is but hey sherm I, I know you best friends with bobby bonilla's agent you you really <laughs> okay. love him yeah i wasn't thinking of him but that you know what you you bring up a very that is a point, great great yeah. contract for for a non-performer mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are plenty of others. Uh, Jody Reed, who uh, had a $10 million contract offer from the Dodgers, was told by his agent to turn it down and he'd get more somewhere else. Guess what? Not only did he not get more from anybody, he was out of baseball. He never got another offer. So his agent had given him some pretty bad advice. You know, we, there, there are plenty of stories like that oh, that I'm sure ab- we, can, absolutely. That we can discuss. Yeah, a- absolutely. Plenty of stories. So it's, it, it, wow. it is terrible. Yeah, I I got a handful of them myself. Oh, I'm sure. You know, you've got the agent. You know, you're an agent. Your son's an agent. So I'm sure that uh, you probably have some pretty interesting The agents who made these bad decisions are still prospering in the league while these other guys are not eating at all. Yeah, yeah. and uh, So unfortunate. Well... The agents try to do the best job that they can for their clients, but it doesn't always turn out that way. Some do. Some do what's the best for them. And it's in every every business. It's in every business. So, you know, this ain't, you know, we understand that. But, but hey, can I shift gears on you? One thing I want to talk about real quick. Sure, sure. Help me out with the French Open right now in Mm. Naomi Osaki situation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Let, well, let's talk um, about that for at least a couple minutes. Okay, okay. That you know, this conversation about just this topic could go on for a very long time. It could. So it could. Yeah, but give because, me give me a fast version because I know we got to wrap it up. But but okay. I mean, well, mm, Naomi mm, Naomi mm. Osaka. Yeah, Naomi Osaka. Obviously, a four time um, major winner. Uh, has a difficulty, I guess you might say, discussing everything sh- that's in her mind with the media. So she wants to skip the media sessions. That's fine. She's a little uncomfortable in, in front of the microphone. She suffers from depression and a few other mental health issues. And now they decided that if she's going to skip the session, which she did after she won her first round match at the French Open, they fined her $15,000. Because of that, the other... Uh, officials at the other majors like the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, Australian Open have gotten together and say now it's mandatory that you talk to the media and you have the sessions or you may be disqualified from all of competition in the majors. Now, you know, there's there are people who handle that a little bit better than others. She has done a great job promoting um, like the Black Lives Matter 
movement, as an example. You know, she when she won the U.S. Open, she had masks with all the names of like Trayvon Martin and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, etc. And she wore a different one all seven days. And so, you know, she uh, um, she bears the burden of social justice and she advocates advocates for it. She herself struggles with some social issues and a lot of athletes now have gotten behind her and say, yeah, you know what? We need to support this. And so after she withdrew from the French Open, the other majors have stepped back and they've said, uh, you know what? We really need to help her get back to tennis and get back to her life. And so she can she can perform at the top level if that's what she wants to do. She has some things to work through and people want to help her do that. But when the number one player in the world, she's one or two, she was the number two seed, um, steps out of the tournament because of that, it really focuses and shines a light on some of those special needs that people have. Um, it's in the, in the long run, it's going to be a good thing for the entirety of the sports world because she is so prominent. I'm not wishing anything bad for her. That's not what I'm talking about. I think because of what she's doing and having the courage to do it in the middle of a major um, is only going to help the her cause. Um, that's a very generic way of saying it. But there are plenty of people who jumped on the let's hammer her and make her look bad wagon. And then they've had to step back after she issued a statement saying, I just need a little bit of help with this. I need some time. I'm struggling a bit. And they've Oh, oop, our, our mistake, our bad. We're going to step back and help you because they're losing face if, if they pile on. Ab um, absolutely. And it's in and the ones that have retracted now, we know who you are. So, yes, you you, you just got exposed. Right. Yes. Now, you know what? It would be interesting to find out if that had been, um, you know, she's uh, in this country. Uh, she is Asian American. Uh, well, she, she identifies with, with all of those things and she, and she's, yes. she's a person of color. How about let's just say that? Yes, we'll say that. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Person of color. How would that have been treated if it was somebody from, say, North America? Right. A white person. We'll just say it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there, would the double standard rear its ugly head? Mm, Probably. Mm, mm. You know, I can't necessarily speculate. I mean, I can, I can guess, I guess. I'm not going to point the finger at anybody. But do you think that would have happened had it been, say, Roger Federer or or one of the prominent players, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, any of the prominent men figures who are I mean, not of I color? I mean, history, or history is saying that it would not have happened. Sure. Right. What if it was? What if it was Serena Williams? And history probably would say that it probably she would have got criticized. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. Serena postpartum had a lot of depression. After her, and she has Absolutely. spoken publicly about it. Yeah, where she did not want to play tennis, and she was still having a problem adjusting to well, a new they, life. They were mad at her for, for doing things outside of tennis in her prime. You remember that, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a and different she, crowd here of the one percent we're talking about with tennis. Well, you know, when you win and you're as successful as she is, people look to bring you down. I mean, come on, how how we know that? Uh, really, tennis didn't really want. Naomi Asaki to be promoting all of that um, diversity with her mask during their time. We know that, right? Let's be right. let's be honest about that. Well, it would be easier for people to not talk about it's it. It's an entitled it, sport. Yeah, not not everybody pushes. can get up and get into the tennis room just like golf. 
It's really, really one of those untouchable societal kind of sports. Is that yeah. fair to say? Oh, entirely. But, you know, the Williams family changed a great deal of that, not just because of their skin color. Not in Indian Wells. Because not in Indian Wells. It, that's also very you true. See, I mean, you know so we, we're talking about that population that okay. really don't want you to be here, but you're linking our pockets, you're lacing our pockets a little bit with some right. Benjamins, right? Yeah, yeah. So we may tolerate it, Sherm, to your point, but not accept it. Exactly. And, and, and that's and what, Naomi that's what Asaki happened. hasn't paid enough people yet. You're just coming up. You're just coming up. No, no, but there's a thing called sweat equity that my athletic director Listen, told me about. I love that, right? You know I'm a firm believer of that. But but what I'm saying is I'm getting off outside of my comfort zone in the fringes of just trying to even come close to maybe the thought process of this group who had a problem with an athlete saying, I have mental health issues coming out of a pandemic. I, I'm going to reserve the right not to speak because I can't be at my best right now and pull it together. But I'm willing to pay the fine because that's what she said, right? I'm willing right. to pay the fine, and you say no. You're gonna get your back, your butt back up there, and do what we tell you to do, because we don't get a chance to exploit you in the way that we need to make money. That's what it came yeah. down to, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, At the end the of the day, because they have sponsors, they want to make sure they wanted to talk to that paid big time money behind the scenes to talk to Naomi Osaki because there's something called an appearance fee. Yeah, that's yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, when you've got somebody who pushes everybody out of their comfort zone, because she is. And, you know, I've listened to her speak and her cadence. Um, it, it, she's, she actually speaks very well. But, you know, a lot of this goes back to the beginning of the Williams sisters who wore braids in their hair. And we never saw that. And, and beads, beads right? right? Yes. And, they, and everybody wore white. Well, now they're not wearing white. You know, Serena wears that black cat suit and it's totally different. And it's it's not the norm, right? And it pushes people out of their comfort zone. Absolutely, and so, yeah. And, and so now this is something we have to deal with because they're not breaking any laws. None at all. Right? None at all. It's, not it's, at all. It's, they it's haven't diversity. done anything wrong. It's inclusion. Yeah, it, You're seeing a yes. little bit of their culture, right? But they don't want that there. They only want tennis yeah. culture there. They only want the one percent um, appropriateness. Yeah. Let me say it that way. How about that? Mm -hmm. The one yeah. percent appropriateness. Yeah. That etiquette, well, way, right? Yeah, the etiquette, the way it's always been. Absolutely. You know, men used to wear white sweaters and long white pants when they played tennis. Absolutely. You know, they, they wanted to be prim and proper. And then but Andre Agassi kind of changed thing. that up with his he hair that, he, style and everything he did else. As well. yeah. Yep, he did as well. Yeah, you know, he was radical. He played his music loud. He had long hair and, and hit the ball harder than anybody we'd ever seen. Right. You know, I mean, and, and things started to slowly change. And then the Williams family took it into a whole different stratosphere what do you think about so, venus comments though was that not savage uh, and gangster um which ones in particular the one she said when the way that she takes it with the media when i'm paraphrasing here when she says hey i know the person that's asking the question would never ever be could light a candle underneath of me yeah did you see that yeah. one I you know what I don't know that I have. Um, I'm gonna have you, to do a little bit of research. You gotta go. But, you gotta go look that up, sure. I mean, yeah, but li um, but listening to, li listening to what you're saying, you know, Venus. Um, 
while still a big name in tennis, is kind of at the back end of her career. She, she is, has, but, but yeah, she hasn't had quite as much success. But the accolades still, will never leave because she's like oh, on yeah, the top we with still all need, these majors, yeah. right? We still need to view her as one of the best of all time. She's won yeah. majors, and she changed tennis. She changed the game. Um, and, uh, you know, not just on the court, but off the court where fashion is concerned because she was also, she's also a fashionista with her own line right. and people didn't like it but, because it was so out of the norm. And, so and, different. And let's give her, her, her proper respect, Sherm. What sidelined her was that autoimmune disease that sucks out her energy and, 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 yeah. and athleticism, also, right? Right. She also deals with some health yeah. issues. And, you know, right. so she's been dealing with whatever that autoimmune disease is that, that wipes her out completely where she can't be 100% at optimal level. But before that, right, before she got diagnosed with that, right, and, and suffered that in her career, I, hey, her sister couldn't hold her, hold her down. Right, right. But so, I remember when she won, I believe, her first Wimbledon title, they said, is there anybody out there who, who you're uh, worried about that's going to come up and take your titles? And her answer was my sister. Yeah. I remember watching that. Yeah. Absolutely. So we knew... At that point, we knew that tennis was going to be dominated by the Williams family. Right. Not necessarily on the men's side, obviously, right, but, right. but on the women's side. And they have, and between the two of them, they've won 30 titles. You know, so 30 majors. Crazy. Uh, not just titles. Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy Unlike, number. Yeah. We'll probably never see that again. I root for Serena every time she's on the court. Yeah. I want to see her get the record. Yeah, me too. I know it's getting tough. I mean, look, she's well beyond her prime, right? When we yeah, talk yeah, about she's tennis. She's in her late 30s now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, because you remember. Tennis used to just be a young person sport, right? By the time they was 25, we was looking at them being done, you know? Yeah. We were saying, true. man, you're, you're pretty old, you know, 22 years <laughs> old, right? I mean, was that not right. the case, right? That was kind of it. So for her to be in the, 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 the back half of 30, still, you know, in the top 50 is commendable. Yeah. And when she won the last Australian Open, she was uh, two months pregnant. Crazy. So- yeah, you you don't you'll never have that on the men's side. That's like that's sport, like Tiger obviously. Woods. That's like Tiger Woods winning that major on, a, uh, on that what, on a broken broken, on a broken knee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ACL yeah. tore up, everything shot, and he's still out there killing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, once in a while, we do have reports of athletes going over and above. It happens in basketball a lot. Like Kobe, Kobe blew out his Achilles and said, "Hell, I'm going to go to the free throw line and keep playing." Crazy. He made two free throws and came. And then he came out of the game. He would have stayed in. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's just you you need the you, you need that kind of leadership in sports. Yeah, so, you know, but, and, and, yeah. And, she, and you know, I just wanted to say um, that I'm I'm very very uh, proud that Naomi Osaki stood up for her beliefs and self care is the best care. Sometimes you gotta you gotta know and you know what's good for you, what's not. And I know it wasn't easy for her walking away from a major, being in the position, you know, position that she's in, uh, being in contention and, and and trying to do it because she understands that her window is short. It's an expiration date for all these athletes. So for her to say, hey, guess what? I can't do it. I need help. I mean, you got to you got to tip your hat to that every time. Yep, and you know what what makes this what really legitimizes this for me is that she could have lost a match and then come out with this and use it as an excuse. 
Oh, no, 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 no. She won a match, her first round match. And she, you know, obviously one of the best in the world. She probably could have gotten to the finals or won the whole thing. And she decided to step aside early, um, knowing what she was facing after a win. That's another thing. It's not a loss and she's not using it as an excuse. Hey, it might have been better if she wouldn't have shown up there at all. But, you know, she gave it what she had and realized props to her for realizing that this was in front of her and she needed to make a change. Well, and plus she she showed up because she didn't want to cheat herself or the fans. It, it takes a tremendous amount of sacrifice, repetition, and, and mental toughness for her, right, to be an athlete, to compete in a singular sport, right, when it's just you. You can't hide behind a team in tennis, you know, unless you're playing doubles, right? You, you know, when you're playing singles, it's just you and the competition, Right. So it's no hiding behind that. So my point is that you can be mentally tough in some areas and then struggle in others. And it's okay. That's my point, because to be an athlete and compete, you have to have mental toughness. This is just a part of the process that really has nothing, Sherm, to do with the freaking game. Okay, Mm -hmm. Media time has nothing to do with the craft, bro. Nothing. Nothing to do with the craft. Hmm. Now, she can't do what she loves to do because we can't exploit her in the media time. Why can't she have a written statement, man? Why she got to be live? Why she got to be live? Why she got to take questions? I I don't want to. Because it's for money, bro. That's it. Absolutely. I don't want to. I don't want to deflate the situation, but I'm just here. So I won't get fined. Absolutely. You're not defraying yeah. it. But I mean, but that was. No, no, I, I, right. I don't want to. Yeah, no. I don't want to make fun of the situation, no. but she's got a personal appearance. I don't understand but, but here's why the deal. we're forced to talk to the right. media. But here's the deal. Naomi, Naomi, I'm not counting her chickens, you know, yeah. going back yeah. to my boy. Right. You know, OK, but I'm not counting the chickens, but she's in a position and she was OK with paying the fine. That's why they doubled down. And got together because she is one of the few athletes that can afford it. She well, can the afford fine it. Was only, the fine was $15,000. Yeah, but most people that's on the tour can't afford that, Sherm. Not know every tournament. No, that's true. But they had also threatened to up the fine to 100000 the other majors. Right. If they said if you skip your, your right. obligation. Well, but that's obligation. the reason why, because they understand they got some people that can actually foot the bill. That's nothing. By the time they win the tournament, and that they're going to be in the top echelon of it anyway, right? Most times, right? That would have covered itself. That's just a that's just a financial statement line line ledger, you know? Hey, mm-hmm. not going to the media day, hundred grand, book it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, put it in the budget, no problem. But that's the problem that I have. We're talking about an aspect of the game that we want to force athletes to make it seem like, oh, that's just part of being a pro. Come on, man. Come on, man. So you cheat the fans out of Naomi Osaki because you can't exploit her the way that you want to at the end of the game? She's available on Twitter. The fans would probably like to tweet her more than the media asking her questions. No, this is the tournaments paying their bills for the tournament of giving media access. Not a pro. Then it had nothing to do with you being a pro. Right. You're right. a pro because you got a certain skill set level in the the craft that you pursue. 
That's that's what make you a professional. Not because you're talking to the media. The media don't make you uh, you talking to the media makes you a professional. She could have any other outlets of, of ways to make this happen. You know, it, I mean, they could have came up the French Open. For as far as I'm concerned, you know, they wet the bid on this situation. They had a chance to rectify this. They could have got into a virtual space. They could say, hey, Naomi, you know, what about getting on Zoom? You know, where you just talking to the media that way. You know, they could have came up with all kind of clever things to keep one of the number one tennis players still in that tournament. And they wet the bed because they felt like they bigger than the, than, the, than the athletes that are pursuing it. I'm disappointed with the athletes. That's my problem. I'm always been pro athlete. I'm disappointed in them. They should have rallied together. Oh, y'all want to get together and make these rules? Then guess what? We ain't playing. Now what you going to do? Nothing. Because it don't happen without the athletes with equity. Period. So the athletes, they wet the bid on this one themselves too. Because it was a chance to say, hey, hold on. You're not going to leverage me in every situation. Because really this media time is really cutting into my recovery time for me to be able to perform the next day. That don't determine if I'm a pro or not. So they, they wet the bed on that. Sponsorships run uh, golf and, and tennis more than anything. Mm-hmm. It's time for the athletes in tennis and golf to, to make a stand for some of these things that we know that's, that's way, way the wrong way. But tennis, well, you know, the, the, tennis the, failed. The problem is, the problem is with golf, I'll, I'll use golf as an example. I, I heard uh, Bryson DeChambeau win a tournament, and I'm watching it, and they ask him a question, and the first thing he did was thank his sponsors, which had nothing to do with the question that was asked, but he had to make sure he had his obligation covered with his sponsors. And so, no, the players don't want to don't want to lose sponsorship. They don't want to say anything wrong. It, it, it's a classic example. You say something wrong on a hot mic, and your sponsors are going to start dropping you like flies. Happens all the time. It happened to Justin Thomas. He uttered a slur about gay and lesbian community, which wasn't supposed to get picked up on the mic. It did, and bam, twelve months. We're done with you. Uh, this whatever the sponsor was said. You know, we got a twelve month contract. We're going to void the contract. We'll we'll visit it again at the end of that time. Because you said the wrong thing at the wrong time. And so, you know, the media, it's an interesting, you know, we're going to have to have a whole podcast just on media and, and their uh, influence on sports and maybe their bad behavior. Because, you know, it's been hundreds of years. They've run out of things to talk about. You know, they just got to talk about something else or making up the news or looking for a story. And they ask some of the dumbest questions of the athletes. So I can also understand the athlete's point of view. And why do we have to have an in-game interview? Why do we have to? There's a game going on. Why is the manager being interviewed? Crazy. Uh, you know, Crazy. I, I just, if I, I remember when I played, if I happen to look up into the stands and wave at my parents, I came out of the game. And now we expect in-game interviews while the game's going on. You could see a player or the manager have a headset on and they're talking to some guy in the booth. Crazy. Uh, you know, where does it end? Where does that... Uh, responsibility or the obligation to the media end. It should end when, when you have someone saying that I'm suffering from mental health. Exactly. You're, you're exactly right. That's a hundred percent on. And I agree with you entirely. That's why I say we're going to have to do a podcast just about the media. Cause that, Oh, there's so much to talk about there. Oh my and, goodness. And, and I don't want no damn writers picking who, who the best player is either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another, yeah. You know what? We're, you and I are going to have to sit down and solve the problems of the world. Because, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we can certainly do that. Oh, my goodness. 
Um, anyway, <laughs> this, this has been an impassioned and spirited uh, conversation we've had about a variety of topics in sports, and we have so much more to talk about. So I'm looking forward to getting back uh, on the mic with you and uh, doing more podcasts. Yay, yay. And as always, I would like to thank my guest host, our Dean of Athletics, Sean Harris. Yay, yay. And the gentleman who makes us sound good each and every time we do podcasts, that is Brandon Peterson, our sound engineer. Beep, 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 beep. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you download your podcast and please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out about Westcliff Athletics and we thank you for your support. And keep an eye out for the next podcast. Cause they dash it. Fools know the P is quick to build them in the casket. The game got me stressing, but the P gon' stress out. Even though the Taz just ready to nigga his house. Took a loss in the game, trying to bubble up. Find a peep deep in the grind, slinging a dope fiends, double ups. And pretty soon I'll be back to a whole thing. And if I had to do it again, I'd probably do the same thing. Trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Another on the show stop, it won't stop, and it won't quit. Tell me another.